0: And I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read just a a few passages from this particular chapter. Then I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to share some things that I had begun uh, a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago. Last weekend I was in California and I appreciate Joe ministering so beautifully. Felix ministered so well last Sunday morning as well. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 19, it says, now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom all You also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And that is the church of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would meditate upon that because, in in so many ways, church has been um, reduced to, to just something that we attend, it's a place that we go on Sundays. Maybe we'll go in a midweek service. Um, It's where a group of Christians might gather to hear the Bible preached. But what you just read in Ephesians chapter 2 is totally different definition of the church of Jesus Christ. It is a building that is fitly joined together. It is not a place that you go to hear preaching. It is a body. It is a temple whose purpose is to be the habitation of the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit has a body through which he can operate in the world, in this generation. We're losing our culture. And we're not losing it to the woke generation. We're not losing it to the trans generation. We're not losing it to politics, far left, far right, Democrat or Republic. We're losing it because the church... I think for decades, has lost its understanding of what the church of Jesus Christ really is. And we saw it as a social organization, maybe a fraternal organization, something that we attended, but it is something that we are. In First Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says in verse 13, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. And have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased Him. This is the work of God. It's God setting. You're here today because the Holy Spirit has set you here. And He set you here where it pleases Him. And you cannot say, you cannot say because I'm not the ear or I'm not the eye then I am irrelevant to the body of Christ. We just read that. You cannot say that. Every part of the body is necessary. And without every part of the body functioning, to that degree, the body of Christ is crippled. And so we don't have to look at our culture or our society or the downward spiral of our morality in America. And point our fingers at teenagers or young people. Or particular movements that are going on in the world. As though that's the problem. The true problem. The true issue. Is that the body of Christ has been crippled. Throughout the generations. By a lack of understanding. How necessary I am. To the cause of Jesus Christ. And I'm not irrelevant. The body of Christ needs me. And so this is important. Now, there's another aspect to this. It says in verse 19 or verse 20, but now are they many members yet, but one body and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble or necessary, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Now listen to this, very important. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks. And I want to focus on this today, that there should be no schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And so I share this with you. Some of you saw Mark Williams up on the video. Been here for a year and a half. Maybe you don't even know who he is. The body of Christ has got to be a unity, a people where there are no schisms in it. But we love one another. We serve together. We walk with God. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. It is a family. Paul said in Ephesians, it is a house, a temple that is fitly joined together. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it's like the human body. Where you cannot say I'm irrelevant because I'm not the hand. And I'm a lesser part of the body. You can't say that you are relevant. And another part of the body that might seem to be arrogant or high and exalted. Maybe a pastor on a stage might look at a part of the body of Christ. And say, I don't have any need of you because your role in the body of Christ is irrelevant. I could never say that to you. Another member of the body of Christ could never say that to another member of the body of Christ. Because every part of the body is necessary. And I need to have this attitude and this revelation that the body of Christ needs me. The Holy Spirit needs me. And without me, he is not going to be able to work in this world in the fashion that he desires to work. And not only does it need me, but I need you. We need each other. And together, God the Holy Spirit will be able to do wonders through our in, in our world. And so I want to go back to Ephesians, and I want to go to Ephesians 3. And I want to just emphasize what I just said. In Ephesians 3, Paul is given the revelation of the mystery of Christ, which is the church of Jesus Christ. A church which is composed of Jews and Gentiles brought together as one, one body by the Holy Spirit to be the church. The church by definition is a gathering of people called out from their homes into some public place to worship and fellowship together. Joined together as the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 3, the purpose of this church in verse 9... Is to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent. This is his intention with the church. God's intention with the church is that right now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you love Jesus. You're so grateful that Jesus came to earth and died for your sins, horribly tortured and crucified on a Roman cross. Jesus did that in order to gain... What his father for eternity longed for. This is the eternal desire of God. To have a church. That through that church. He can demonstrate his manifold wisdom. And beloved according to Ephesians chapter 3. The manifold wisdom of God will not. Not. Be manifested apart from his church. And the church is crippled. If you do not believe you're relevant to it. If you do not fulfill your function and your role in the temple or in the body of the church. Then to that degree the church is crippled. And if I have an attitude or somebody else has an attitude toward you or toward someone else that you are irrelevant and we don't need you, then that is a schism in the body of Christ that hinders the Holy Spirit from operating. And so if, if, if we love God and we want God, our Father, to have His eternal desire fulfilled in our generation, then the church of Jesus Christ must be the church. God's manifold wisdom is not going to be revealed because you got saved. You got saved so that you could be a part of the church. And it is through the church that God's wisdom is going to be revealed. You are not the church by yourself. The church is not a singularity. We read that in 1 Corinthians 12. The church is many members composed of one body. It's not one. The church is many. And without the many, it is not a church. I am not the church. You are not the church. We are the church together. And we have to understand that revelation. And that's the danger and the damage that has been done to our society. It would be the failure of the church to understand by scriptural and spiritual authority what we are on this earth to do. And that is to fulfill and reveal the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers. This schism that I wanted to highlight to you in First Corinthians chapter 12 is something that I want to focus upon a little bit this morning. In Proverbs 14, 1, it says that every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. And we are represented in the new covenant in Ephesians chapter 5, and particularly that we are the bride of Christ, that we are the body of Christ. So in regards to Jesus being the head and and we being the body, the bride, if you will, we are the woman in this relationship and Jesus is the man in this relationship and we are the woman. And that's why I bring that proverb 14 to our attention because a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. And I would desire for us to be the wise bride of Jesus Christ and that we would be A bride that is able to build up the house of the Lord. And that we would not be a foolish woman who tears it down with her own hands. Which meaning in the word foolish, it really wasn't her goal or her intention to destroy her home. Maybe it was her desire to make it better, make it stronger, keep everybody corralled, keep everything right. But in her effort to do that, there was destruction that was going on in it. And so I want to just give a few little examples of this. And then we're going to go on to a little bit deeper of a teaching in this. As I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there are those people who think that they're irrelevant to the body of Christ. People wonder and think that nobody cares about them. I have experienced that in my own life. I believe we all have. Nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. Nobody cares about me. I don't fit in. And I'm the pastor. And I can't tell you how many times I've felt that way. They begin to blame others for their feelings. They begin to accuse the church. Well, I don't fit in. Maybe they don't even attend church hardly. Others may may feel like I don't fit in, I'm never invited to something, I'm never included in something, and I felt that way myself. And the Lord redirected my thoughts into stop sitting around waiting for somebody to invite you to do something. And why don't you invite somebody to do something? And why don't you invite people that maybe don't get invited to do much? Why don't you invite them? Maybe new people. I wrote a book that Satan is counting on you. And he really is. He's counting on us to get on carnal ground. He's counting on me to get in my emotions. He's counting on me to get in my self-pity. To where I don't assume fault with myself, but I like to throw the blame everywhere else. It's the church's fault. It's the people's fault. Whatever it may be. And then take to social media. And declare to the world how unlovely the church is. Maybe leave the church and move to a new church. And tell my family and friends, well, I didn't like that church. They were mean and they didn't love me. And then I want to tell these same people, why don't you give your life to Jesus Christ and come to church with me? Are you kidding you don't even like the church. You don't even love the church. You get on social media and tell everybody how bad the church is or how the church failed you. And you want me to be a Christian? Are you kidding me? And out of foolishness, we tear the house down. It's not really what we're intending to do, but we do it. We become the accuser of the brethren and we really don't care because our emotional state is so, so disturbed. We attack one another, even the ones that do love us. Those that minister to us. Those that are hurting. And I just want to encourage you to make yourself valuable to the body of Christ. I want to encourage you to be intimate with the body of Christ. I want to encourage you to be more intimate with the body of Christ than you ever have been. So that your life can make a difference. Regardless of what anybody else does. I would encourage you to make the church better. Help make it what it should be. Come in and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And be an instrument of the Holy Spirit. And live where he's placed you. And do what he's placed you to do. Don't come and live with a chip on your shoulder because the church is not perfect. Come and help it make it perfect. Come and help and serve. Satan expects us to handle one another with the letter of the word. Exact justice. And by that we will damage each other. The Holy Spirit wants us to handle one another by the spirit of the word. And give mercy. I had written this before. I'd like to read it to you right now. It's called the test of my spiritual measure. No greater test comes to a believer than those which involve abuse, rebuke, betrayal, and hurt. These tests reveal... Just how much my old man is still alive. In the test or the trial, I discover my true spirituality. How I am on the outside in the trial is what I have been all along on the inside. Regardless of how holy or spiritual I considered myself to be, the test reveals the truth. Rebuke, abuse, betrayal, hurt. Gossip against me. My response. Reveals my true state. Of spirit filled living. The victory that I am to have. All spiritual victory. All spiritual victory. Is that you change. Not that your circumstances change. And not even that others change. But that you change. Because just as sure as you run from one problem and escape to a greener pasture, the devil knows how to pull your strings. And he has somebody everywhere waiting for you. You cannot outrun him. So it's best to be changed yourself. Whether anything else ever changes. Without a change in you, you can never escape the devil's reach. You can't run. Wherever you go, he has somebody for you there, waiting for you before you even get there. With a change in you, you have won forever. Though nothing around you has changed, you have changed. It's not time that heals, it is the cross. I've known people who were wounded 20 years ago. These wounds are as fresh today as they were the day they were cut. So I want to go to this in Luke chapter 10. And I wanted to read just a few statements that Jesus makes. This is very short. And then I'm going to go to Matthew 23. But in Luke 10, Jesus says in verse 19. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And Jesus is making a declaration of power to his people. I'm giving you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Now the question is, what are those? What are, what are serpents? You know, I mean, we immediately just think of the, the vipers that are out in the, in the, in the yard and so forth. And it could imply that. But I think Jesus identifies this in Matthew 23, and he says in verse 33, Matthew 23, 33, Jesus says, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? These are the ones that are going to bite you. Jesus did not say you would not be bit. He said I would give you power over it. And I believe for all of us as believers we've been bit. And sometimes the venom does its damage because we don't recognize the power he has given us over it. And so backing up to this let's identify the fair, the, the 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 snake more clearly it's in verse 27. This is where we're going to start for the sake of time. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, But let somebody gossip about you. Let somebody slander you. Let somebody abuse you. Let somebody rebuke you, and then let's see how beautiful we are on the outside. But on outwardly we appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send to you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. We're talking about religious people. It's a religious setting. It's not talking about the Romans or the snakes. It's talking about the Pharisees are the snakes. The scribes are the snakes. I was a snake. Until Jesus helped me understand my salvation through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And the grace of God. And that I don't have to be a snake. I don't have to attack things. I don't have to hurt his body. I don't have to slap Jesus Christ across the face on Facebook. Because I'm discontented with somebody in the body of Christ. And I'm going to let the whole world know. How a member of the body of Christ hurt me. And to strike out against them, I might as well just take Jesus' face and make a fist and punch him in the jaw. Because if I do that to somebody in his body, I do that to him. I don't want to be a snake. Right? I don't want to create a schism in the body of Christ. I don't want to hurt the body of Christ And what should I do about these things? And so serpents are identified here in Matthew 23 as religious people who attack the operation of the Holy Spirit. That's verse 34. I'm going to send ministry to you and you're not going to like it and you're going to attack it. You say you're different than your fathers who killed the prophets. You say you're different than them, but you're admitting that you are their children. And it will be proved by the fact that when I send you ministers to you and they're not like you and they're different than you and they might be a little bit unorthodox or out of the traditional, you're going to stop them, criticize them, rebuke them, and if you could, maybe crucify them, which some of these would go through that type of crucifixion. And just, just think about how hard it is for, for, for all of us to deal with new things. A preacher with a new style. A singer with a new song. And how difficult it is for us to accept that. Because we're like those that persecuted the prophets before us. But we're different, we say. But if it attacks our tradition, then like fools, we will destroy the house. Instead of like a wise woman who will build the house. Very important Jesus clearly says that these are the serpents in Matthew 23. Who appear outwardly righteous to men but are rotten within. Jesus said we will face serpents. We will even be bit by serpents. But he gives us power over them. We will have to face malicious people to be the church of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a living illustration of this if I can. In Acts 28. Acts 28, it says this in verse 5. Paul is in shipwreck and he lands on a barbarian island. These are really not barbarians, though they're referred to as such. They were very kind and generous and helpful. They just didn't have a lot of civilization that Rome had. And so Paul's gathering wood for a fire. They knew Paul was a prisoner on this ship. And he was going to be executed. Or he's going to be tried. And so it looks like Paul's going to get away with it because the ship was wrecked and now they're stranded on this island. And so anyway, this this serpent bites him, a venomous serpent, verse 4. It was hanging on his hand and they said, this man is a murderer. A bad thing happened to Paul and because a bad thing happened to Paul, it was believed he must be a bad man. Bad things happen to bad people. Don't go there. Don't go there. And so the Bible says that though he escaped the sea, vengeance will suffer him not to live because this is a venomous mistake. He should die quickly. But he shakes it off. Verse 5, he shakes the snake off in the fire and he felt no harm. And I love this in verse 6. How be it when they looked... When he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Now something great's happening to him. He must be divine. And um, and so Paul just shakes it off in the fire. I, I would, please, would you be that kind of Christian? Would you just shake it off? Would you just shake it off? Well, that's not my favorite song. Shake it off. You're not my favorite preacher. Shake it off. I'm not too keen about a a sports camp. Shake it off. Have some faith that Felix Birch more than anything, wants to share the gospel every day with 150 kids. Shake it off. Don't destroy the house. I mean, my gosh, you know. Shake it off. Shake it off. Well, that offended me. Shake it off. They hurt my feelings. Shake it off. They said something bad about me. Shake it off. Somebody in the church put something out on Facebook. I'll never go to church there again. No. The Holy Spirit put you here. Shake it off. Shake it off. But we don't. We let the venom set in and we let it begin to happen to us. And I love what this says about Paul when he should have swollen. And that's why they bit you. That's why they went to social media about you. Because it was supposed to swell you. It was supposed to hurt you. You were supposed to feel it. You were supposed to cry. You were supposed to respond back on social media so there could have been a big fight for all the world. That's what you were supposed to do. Satan was counting on you to do that, but thank God you shook it off. Thank God. You walked through that season of life into a better season. Praise God. And this is what it is. This was supposed to hurt you, Lee. This was supposed to stop you. What happened? I shook it off. I shook it off. I wasn't going to let it. He also talks about scorpions. And I don't have time. I'm running out of time. But I would just reference. There's some passages in Revelation that talks about the sting of a scorpion. And can I just tell it to you this way? The intent of the serpent's bite is to kill you quickly. Quickly. You're supposed to be done after I do this to you. You're to be destroyed in moments. The intent of a scorpion is a lingering, tormenting pain, creating in you the desire to want to be dead and the feeling that you cannot go on. This is the sting of those things in our life that seek to wound us and torment us. It brings regret. Depression, despair, failure, sins of the mind, sins of the heart, sins of the flesh. And we don't want to go on. We can't go on. And the serpent's venom was used not so much to kill its prey, but to paralyze it so that it could be eaten later. And that's what bitterness does. I don't want to kill you right away. You're a better testimony for me, Satan would say. You're a better testimony for me, bitter and alive, than dead as a martyr. So I'm going to sting you this time so you can walk around in self-pity and bitterness for a few months. And I can point to everybody that knows you're a Christian and says, Why would you want to serve that God? That's what... Look, remember Ephesians chapter 3. What's the whole church about? To show them the wisdom of God, right? And if we're not showing that, we must be showing Satan's glory. Which I don't want to do. And I know that you don't want to do. And so, it's something that hinders you. Symptoms that are tormenting, physical or mental suffering. Pain, numbing, difficulty, swallowing, blurred vision. You can't see clearly. Difficult breathing. Difficult breathing. Difficulty praising, difficulty worshiping. Shake these things off. Do not give them the power. So let me, let me conclude with this. And Carla, if you want to come up. I'll, I'll conclude with this. If Paul were alive today, and all the things that he suffered and went through, I believe his testimony today would be one of great power. The the, the greatest pulpit you ever have, the greatest pulpit you will ever be given. Is when you have been bitten by serpents and stung by scorpions. And Jesus comes out of you. Commitment. To the body of Christ. Commitment because you love God so well. That you know. That this. Is his eternal purpose. And because I love him. I will not forsake you. Though I have wanted to. Dozens and hundreds and thousands of times. I cannot because I love him. I will be in my place. I will serve. I will live for God. I will help you. And when things happen. And we rub each other wrong. And we get offended with things. I'm, I'm going to trust in the Holy Spirit. That I can shake it off. And if I can't shake it off. Then I'm going to kindly. Sit down with you. And have a brotherly. Time of like. Let's get past this because just something happened and it really rubbed me wrong. I'm not able to get past it. So I want to leave my gift at the altar and I just want to sit with you, my brother, my sister and say, look, I just want you to know what happened. And I've just been struggling with this. And And can we just put this under the blood of Jesus now and and give it to God and not let this let the devil have its work? But if I can get over it, I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get, I've come to learn that most of the things that happen in the body of Christ that bring offense, the other party didn't even know that's what they were doing. They had no intention of doing that. They don't even realize what they said hurt you so badly. They didn't even know that. It was not their intent at all. But Satan comes along and he builds that thought up in your mind to such a degree that it's tormenting. The, serp, the scorpion bit you. It stung you. And it's paralyzing you. And so, how do you shake this off in the fire? How do you overcome this? And there's no greater testimony of overcoming the serpent's bite or the scorpion's sting than Jesus Christ. And even Peter said he showed us how to suffer. He showed us how. That's in Peter's epistle, if you don't know. So when you suffer unjustly, or even if you suffer and you deserve it. Peter said, Jesus Christ, our Lord, taught us how to suffer. When he was reviled, he opened not his mouth. Wow. That's that's other human. I mean, let's just grant it. But he lives in you. And he lives in me. So the possibility of me being able to do that is because Christ in me is the hope of glory I can shake this off because Christ is in me and how did he do it he demonstrated it most beautifully at the cross on the cross hanging there with serpents at the foot of his cross biting him, hurling accusations at him. And he never once from the cross said, Father, get them. But he did say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's the change that has to happen in us. Or we will tear the house down like a foolish woman. Or we can build it up like a wise woman. A great wife to Jesus Christ. You find Jesus beating Satan by sacrificing himself to his father. You will raise me up. You will prove to men who and what I am. Let the devil say what he will. And let God vindicate you. Die. Die. And live again. That's the cross of Jesus.